Join me now for a reading from Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And now from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a student who had a teacher that they loved dearly. They, they enjoyed their class every single day that they went to it. The teacher had a personality that they really clicked with, connected with, and they thought that the teacher gave great personal insight and wisdom into their teaching. They taught passionately. So this teacher grew to really respect the teacher a lot, or the student grew to respect the teacher a lot. And one day the student was struggling with things in their own life and just having a hard time making the decisions that they needed to make for the betterment of their lives into the future. And they decided, you know what, I'm going to ask my teacher for their advice, for their wisdom. And so the, the student goes up and, and talks to the teacher and, and says, you know, I, I respect you so much and I've seen how you live your life and I think that you have great wisdom. And so I just wanted to put this situation before you and, and see what you might say at, that you think I should do. And so the teacher listened uh, intently to what the student was saying and the student shared their life and their heart and the struggles that they were going through. And the teacher thought very deeply about what they were going through and then reflected with the student what choices they might have and the direction that the teacher thought that they should go. So they parted ways and the teacher thought it was such a weird um, circumstance, such a weird scenario that he doesn't have all the time and he was glad that this student would come and seek his wisdom that he kind of started to watch that student a little bit more closely. And in the weeks and days to come, he recognized that the student not only didn't listen to his advice, but seemed to go a different direction completely and actually the opposite direction of the advice that he had given. And he thought, well, he's young, he's still learning. Okay, all right, I'll give him some grace and patience here, but that's a little weird that he would ask me for my advice and then not do it. And so months went by and this student once again came to the teacher and said, you know, you gave me such great advice last time. I wanted to throw this scenario before you and I wanted to ask what you thought about it and what you think I should do. And so at the end of uh, the, him sharing what was going on, the teacher once again gave his advice, although this time a little, with a little bit of trepidation because he had recognized that the student didn't take his advice 
last time. But he gave it anyways. The student was looking for it and thought that this might just be more of a growing moment. And in the weeks to come, he watched intently this student's life around campus as he saw him moving around. And, it, and once again, he saw the student conducting himself and doing things that were not only not with the wisdom and advice that he had given to him, but it, in kind of it, in contradiction again. It was going against the wisdom and advice that he had given to the student. And so a few months go by, and this teacher's feelings were kind of hurt at this point, that they had been sought, but then it seemed like the student kept going the opposite direction. And a few months go by, and the student comes once again and says, you know, I need to ask for your advice once more. And the teacher finally said to the student, you know, I've already given you advice twice, and when I've kind of watched how you've been conducting yourself around campus, it seems like you not only haven't taken my advice seriously, but you've chosen to go kind of the opposite direction completely from what I shared with you and what I thought should happen. So I know you think you respect my wisdom and my advice, but you're, you're not listening to it. And so I don't really feel like giving you wisdom and advice this time. James talks about the same phenomenon with us in Scripture. James says that whoever hears the Word of God or studies the Word of God, but then doesn't go away doing what God has called us to do, is like somebody who has looked in the mirror intently in the morning and then walked away and immediately forgotten what they looked like. You know, what's the purpose of the mirror in our bathroom? Uh, when we have a mirror in the bathroom, it's for us to look at our appearance and make sure that we look how we should look for the day, that we look like we're keeping up with ourselves and we're hygienic, and so that we're presenting ourselves in a manner that, that is the way that we want to present ourselves, not with a bedhead or crusties in our eye or whatever else. But imagine if you were to look in the mirror, look at yourself, recognize that you need to comb your hair, that you need to wash your face, you need to brush your teeth or whatever else, but then walk away and immediately forget that you had looked in the mirror and that you have to do these things. This is kind of the, what James is talking about. Why am I sharing these stories? Why are we talking about this morning? Well, we've been going through this series recently and talking about these practices from ancient Christianity that, that Christians have practiced, even Jews practiced before Christians, uh, for our daily lives and how we can connect with God, how we can have a more deep relationship with God, and how we can grow in our faith and love of God through these disciplines, through these practices. So this summer we've been looking at these 10 different practices. And so far we've, we've examined sitting in silence and stillness before God and kind of providing time to get away like Jesus did to sit before God. We've examined listening to God, trying to develop an attentive ear to hear what God might say to us. We've uh, looked at fasting as a practice, as removing something away from our lives that we typically do or that we're used to so that we might be more mindful in the times we would spend doing that instead, spending time with God and seeking God instead of that other thing. And then we talked last week about awareness and building a sense within yourself that God is with you always and God never leaves you. And so building an awareness of God's presence in your life. And so this week we're going to build off of all of those and we're going to talk about something that's a little bit the culmination of all of these things. And that is meditation. Now, meditation in the Christian sense is different than meditation you might have heard about. In fact, there's been a lot of talk about meditation in recent years, and there's been all kinds of science, although if you really look it up, there's not really any good science on meditation, but there's been lots of kind of pseudoscience on meditation, espousing all the medical and health benefits, and I don't doubt those in any sense at all. 
But that's not particularly what meditation in Christianity is. So meditation, as we talk about it in the world, it comes from various different traditions all over the place. And it might be about actually being more mindful of your current moment. You know, there might be a type of meditation that you've heard of where it's just becoming hyper aware of your body, of the space you're in, and just really becoming very uh, aware of you, the moment you're in. It's, it's called mindfulness. And then there's another kind of meditation where it's almost like a relaxing type of medication, meditation where you're clearing your mind of things and you're just trying to not think about anything and slow down. And there's benefits to that for sure, um, but that tends to come from other religions, from Eastern religions and not particularly from Christianity and Christianity's thoughts about meditation. And then you might have heard something about transcendental med meditation, which comes from various different Eastern religions. And this is kind of the idea of meditating to the point where you actually kind of escape this physical existence and you enter into a higher existence in your meditation. So none of those are what the scripture means for meditation. There might be benefits in those types of meditation. There might be good reasons to practice those types of meditation. But when we talk about meditation in Christianity, what we're really talking about is we're talking about focusing on God's will and God's word for us so that our hearts and minds might come into greater alignment with God's will and God's desire for us. And so this is a practice of us not emptying ourselves per se, but rather filling ourselves. Now, it might require us to get rid of distractions or get rid of our own self-desires self or self-direction or our own passions or other things that might be like we talked about last week, those thorny rocks that kind of choke the word of God from taking root in our heart. But it isn't really about the emptying process as much as it is about the filling process, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with God's word and guidance and direction, and being filled with God's, um, God's word for our life as we're supposed to live it today. And so that's really what, what Christian meditation and Jewish meditation has always been about. And we see that in the psalm that we looked at today. David begins the entire book of, of the songs and prayers and hymns that the people of uh, Israel would use for their worship in Jerusalem and in the synagogues later in their hometowns. They would use the Psalms as a way of, of a worship book. It was really their hymnal for them to sing these songs. Almost every, well, actually every single song, Psalm had a song set to it, had a melody. And oftentimes you'll see in the notes at the beginning, they're actually in the scriptures from even the Hebrew days uh, on, there's notes about the songs that are to be sung. And so these are songs that are to be sung. And yet David at the very beginning talks about meditation. And when you see David talk about meditation, you can get the glimpse of what Jewish and Christian meditation is about. That filling up, that focus on God's word and God's will. Now, the word that is used in this passage in Psalm 1 and is used in many other passages in the Old Testament for meditation, there's actually a couple words that could mean meditation, but they carry similar ideas. And this particular word, hagah, it means not just to sit and contemplate and think. That's not the connotation of this word. In fact, at the very root and the base of this word, it means to, to kind of mumble or utter or actually to growl. 
Isaiah uses this word haga in talking about a lion who is growling over his prey that he's just subdued. And, you know, if, if he was being attacked by some hunters or something like that and protecting his prey for his food. And the lion is growling over it. And so there's this sense, there's this sense in this word where you're so consumed and you're so obsessed with this word that you're, you're almost, you're muttering it out loud as you contemplate it, as you think of it, as you're chewing on it, and as you're trying to figure out what it means for you and for what God desires for your life. And so this sense of meditation is, is a deeply visceral one. It's one where you're really wrapped up in God's desire and God's will for you as revealed to you in his word. Um, now, think about this. I, I tease some of my family members about this regularly, and that is when you get so focused on something, have you ever caught yourself talking through the thing you're doing out loud even when nobody else is in the room? Have any of you guys done that here? Yeah, a few of you. So I should stop giving my family a hard time about talking to themselves out loud. It, it drives me nuts because I think they're talking to me and then I realize that they don't really care about me. And so I just kind of need to leave them to their own devices. But I do it too if I really want to admit to myself that if I'm really focused on something, I'll catch myself kind of muttering it, kind of, kind of walking through what I'm doing. And so it's this intensity of focus that leads us to just be caught up and what we're doing. And that is what the words of meditation um, that David is using really gives us a sign of, is that you become obsessed with God's desire, God's will, God's word for you, so that you would study God's word in a way that is voracious, in a sense. And it, we see this in other parts of scripture. Uh, Eugene Peterson has written a, a famous book called Eat This Book. And it's, it's all about meditation. It's all about study of the Bible. And he notes that in three different places in scriptures, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then in the Revelation of John, God calls upon the individual, the prophet, or whoever it is that he's talking to in those books to take a scroll and to eat it as a visual symbol of what it means to meditate, to really take seriously God's revelation in the Bible, in the scriptures that we have been handed down. And so this sense that we would consume it, that it would become a part of us, that it would fuel us, and it would give us what we need in order to understand God's mind, God's heart, so that we would live in line with God's mind and God's heart. We would be transformed, as Paul puts it later, into the image of Jesus Christ. So this idea of meditation continues on into the early church, and you see many different times throughout the letters where Paul or Peter or others kind of give a sense of people taking seriously the Word of God, studying it, and ingesting it, and making it a part of your life. So Paul says at the end of his letter to the Philippians, where he is encouraging them, and he is in trying to help lift them up and show them that, that they have much to be joyful in, he tells them at the end, whatever is good, whatever is honorable, all of these good phrases— Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Let these things rest in your heart so that you might begin to find God's goodness designed for you. So this is meditation. This is what we are called to as Christians as we practice meditation. So how do we do that? What's the practicality of meditation in our lives? Well, first of all, a huge practicality of meditation is time. You cannot 
just assume that you're going to spend time in meditation if you don't sit, set time aside for meditating on God's word. And so one of the first keys, one of the first practicalities of actually doing this discipline is to set time aside. Now we've looked at that same idea in every one of the practices. So it's going to continue to go. If you don't set time intentionally to do these things, you won't do them. And I don't tell you that in a judgmental sense. I tell you that because I know it in my own life. When I don't set intentional time aside, as a pastor, as somebody who has dedicated my life to the study of God's word and to teaching God's word to other people, that somebody who's done that, if I don't set time to do these practices daily, weekly, monthly, then I won't do them. They, they won't be something I gravitate towards naturally. I will tend to gravitate towards whatever is most pressing or whatever is in my life. And we are busy people. And so there's lots to consume our time. And so you need to set time aside to really spend meditating on God's word. Now, every single Sunday, hopefully, you listen to a message that I or somebody else prepares from the word of God and brings to you in our worship. And this is a great starting point for a practical practice of meditation. If you would take a little bit of time and set some time aside on Sundays, maybe in the evening before you go to bed, maybe in the afternoon, whenever's most convenient for you, to sit and to meditate on what you heard that morning in worship as somebody brings you the word of God, then that is a way for you to begin to integrate that practice of meditation. And so take good notes as you're listening to the sermon and, and write down questions. And then as you come to that time that you've set aside for meditation, look over your notes. Remember what was said, reminding yourself of God's word that was preached to you that morning. And dwell on it. Think about it. Think through the things that stuck out to you that, that seemed to resonate with your heart. Think through the questions that you may have written down and bring those to God. God might say, yeah, don't listen to Chris on that. He's an idiot or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what, what God might say to you in your questions. Or God might bring you the answer in some way that you aren't expecting. But if you set that time aside to dwell, to think through, to consume, to become kind of like a voracious consumer of, to let it get into you, in that, in that time on Sunday mornings, then you don't get too far away from the word that was preached to you and you can begin to let that permeate your life and draw your heart into deeper resonance with God's heart. But another practice that we've talked about quite a bit in our church and that we've used in various different settings and different places is Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina is a practice that goes way back and it means divine reading or spiritual reading. And it is a way of reading through the scripture that is intentionally meditative, intentionally listening to the word of God in a way to hear God's Holy Spirit's guidance and direction in your life right now through that word. Now, there's lots of different um, ways that you can do Lectio Divina. There's different, kind of slightly different variations out there, and all of it involve a practice of meditating and going through different steps. I, I have written up my own version kind of based on various different books I've read on this in the past and various ways I've practiced it with people that has been really functional. And I have given that to the congregation at different times through booklets that we've handed out. But I, I put everything on my website. So if you look down at the bottom of your screen, 
I put all the steps for Lectio Divina down there, and maybe at some point I'll, I'll record a video to even walk you through it and put that video on that page. But if you need help in remembering the steps, go there and look there and refresh, remind yourself about how to do Lectio Divina. So these are just a couple quick ways that you can begin to learn to meditate. You have to set aside time, maybe use the Word of God that you hear preached on Sunday mornings to incite you into meditation later that day, or use this practice of Lectio Divina and fo follow that structure and those steps to learn how to let the Word of God permeate into your heart and into your soul so that you might become more like Jesus as he transforms your heart through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Friends, as you leave the worship time that we had this morning and enter back into your normal lives, I encourage you to do something this week. Don't just hear the word of God and walk away and immediately forget what you hear. Instead, be like James says, doers of the word, being one who is impacted by hearing God's word and having your life be transformed into doing something with what God is teaching you. So look over these last five weeks, four weeks, I forget how long we've been doing this, of sermons and these practices that we've been looking at, and make sure that you set time aside to practice one of them this week. Obviously, we're talking about meditation this week, and so maybe it's meditation. But if it's any of the practices that you've set time aside for, then do that this week and, and let God enter into your life and your heart. Now, you know, when I was sitting over here, I was looking at my hands, and I recognized as I was holding the hymnal that I have glitter all over my hands. And I don't know if it's from the flower arrangement or, or what it's from. But for those of you who have kids in your home or who have ever had kids in your home or have somebody in your house that's a crafter, you know that when you get glitter out, you know that you're going to find glitter all over the place constantly and it's impossible to get rid of. That's kind of like delving into the Word of God. Letting the Word of God come into your life and filling your life with the Word of God, it, it becomes permeated into your soul and it becomes hard to get rid of. And I remember hearing in the past the answer a rabbi gave to one of their students in talking about studying the scriptures and why do we study the scriptures. And the rabbi said, well, it's our job to place the Word of God on our hearts so that when God breaks our heart, the word might fall in and be planted in us and grow up into fruit in our lives in the future. And so as you go through this week, find a way to connect with God through these practices and plant God's word in your heart or on your heart, being prepared for it to grow into fruit in your life. And may the God who has shared his word with us open your eyes and make you to see his will, his love, his grace, his mercy for you in his revealed word so that you might be transformed more to be like Jesus today and tomorrow and forever to come. Amen.